0: This is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 127. We'll begin with a brief summary of Ezekiel chapters 28 through 31 and follow with some thoughts about the mighty and their ultimate fate. In case you've just joined us, Yehezkel has been waxing elegiac about the sad fate of the coastal city of Tyre. And in chapter 28, he's still on the Tyre tip, addressing the city's king directly, praising him for his wealth and success. I went to an Ivy League school. I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. No, for real. Yechezkel's being sincere. He tells the Tyrian king, quote, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your adornment. Carnelian, chrysolite, and amethyst, beryl, lapis, lazuli, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, and gold beautifully wrought for you, mined for you, prepared the day you were created. I created you as a cherub with outstretched shielding wings, and you resided on God's holy mountain. You walked among stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wrongdoing was found in you." By your far-flung commerce, you were filled with lawlessness, and you sinned. So I have struck you down from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O shielding cherub, from among the stones of fire. How could you really? Come on, cherub, stones of fire! And you gave all that up because of your arrogance, your ego? Oh, Jared. I mean, Prince of Tyre. Quote, All who knew you among the peoples are appalled at your doom. You have become a horror and have ceased to be forever. And by the way, The same goes for you too, Sidon. Don't think that God can't multitask. Chapter 29 is further proof of that. God can work 50, no, 100 fidget spinners, destroy Tyre and Sidon, and still have something left over for Pharaoh and Egypt. Quote, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, mighty monster sprawling in your channels, who said my Nile is my own, I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your channels clinging to your scales. I will haul you up from the channels with all the fish of your channels clinging to your scales. And I will fling you into the desert with all the fish on your channels. Oh, damn! And why did God do this to great Egypt? Because it seems that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't deliver. You done messed up, Aaron! Tyre did not fall to the Babylonians, so as a consolation prize, he'll get to despoil Egypt which Yehezkel spends chapter 30 and 31 breaking down for us, including Pharaoh's arm breaking. And you know that Pharaoh, you know, squealed like that when his arm broke. Anyway, Yehezkel likens Pharaoh to a lofty cedar that strangers come and cut down. And okay. I sleep all night. I all day. so you see it all works out in the end all the bad guys get theirs and on that karmic note here endeth the lesson In the previous episode, I noted that Yehezkel shifts tone and perspective to mourn the fate of Tyre as if he was one of Tyre's fellow mariners. In this episode, too, Yehezkel shifts tone and perspective to focus on non-Jews and their fates, and one would think that he would bubble over with schadenfreude, reveling in the downfall of the idolaters, especially those that might have been, you know, not so nice to the Jews in the past. But he doesn't. Just the opposite. His exploration of two individuals in particular and their fates, fates which they brought upon themselves, is nuanced, subtle, and sympathetic. And it has a lesson for us all, Jew and non Jew alike. But before I launch into who those figures are, I wanted to point out that for a Kohen, a priest who spent a lot of adult years in Kohen Academy to assume a role as priest in the temple, and then serving in the temple before being hustled off into Babylonian exile, Yehezkel, he sure knew a lot about Phoenician culture and Egyptian geography. He describes Phoenician morning rites in great detail, as well as the sumptuary practices of the hoi polloi in Tyre. It's another dazzling lifestyles of the rich and famous. Meet the stars of show business and big business. Discover how life's winners live, love, and spend their fortunes. And without recourse to Google Maps, Yehezkel takes us on a whirlwind tour of Pharaoh's realm describing all the places where Egypt will get their comeuppance from Patros which is south of the Nile Delta to Tsoan, which is north of the Delta. No which is located about 560 kilometers north of the present-day Cairo back to Sin which is north of the Delta to Un which is to the west and Tachpanes which is to the northwest in the Sinai. But Yehezkel's true purpose here is not to focus on lifestyles of the rich and famous or catastrophe tourism but on the causes for the catastrophe. In other words, hubris. Hubris comes from the Greek and means excessive pride toward or defiance of the gods, leading to nemesis, a spirit of divine retribution. In other words, if you get a swollen heads, the gods will come along and pop it. Mishle expresses a similar idea, and we'll do a deep dive into the book of Proverbs sometime around episode 202, where you'll find this famous quote. Pride goes before ruin, arrogance before failure. In our portion of Ezekiel, hubris has ensnared two individuals, the king of Tyre and Pharaoh. And I guess we should expect that an all-powerful monarch would be susceptible to such a human flaw. And I guess it's fair to say that hubris is a human flaw, as it's a flaw among humans. but, But really, it's only a flaw the 1%. So maybe, hashtag, not all humans... Because if you think about it, having faith in God, embracing tradition, living a devout life might be a lot easier if you were on the lower rungs of the socioeconomic ladder. God would be your rock and your salvation. God would give you the inspiration to go on and carry the heavy burdens of labor and struggle. It would be easier to turn your thoughts to heaven and the next world when this world had so little to offer. But but what if you had everything or almost everything? What if every wish Every desire could be fulfilled, making this world into a paradise. Well, we'll kind of explore a variation of this scenario when we deep dive into the book of Job sometime around episode 191. Here, however, the king of Tyre has it all. Wealth, intellect, business acumen, a keen eye for diplomacy and international relations. And he builds for himself what Yechezkel describes as a paradise on earth, literally the Garden of Eden. But the king of Tyre falls in a very one percenty kind of way. He forgets that he was created in God's image and not a god himself, which is the same character flaw that plagues Pharaoh in Egypt. But Pharaoh's hubris extends beyond the buildings of great egypts you know, the temples, the palaces. Pharaoh boasts, quote, the Nile is mine and I made it. Yehezkel responds, We'll see, bitch. We'll just see. And perhaps this is a good cautionary tale for those of us who buy into the foolhardy notion of class mobility, that if you work hard enough, you too can be a real estate mogul with your very own reality show presidency. But watch out for hubris! Although, according to a 2017 piece in McLean's, we Canadians have a much better shot at the American dream than most Americans. In the United States, 46% of the population has been able to obtain a college degree. In Canada, it's 59%. After graduation, Canadians are more likely to find work with an employment rate four points better. You're more likely to afford a house with a white picket fence in Canada, but not in Toronto, where home ownership rates are 5% higher. Canadians also have more time to enjoy their homes as they work over 80 hours fewer per year and they take an extra three days vacation. Canadians are the sixth Freest people in the world according to the Cato Institute's Freedom Index while Americans limp in at 23rd behind Poland. Reporters Without Borders scores Canada 18th for press freedom. America is 41st. I'll link to the piece at thenextjou.com where you can peep even more of those stats demonstrating the true North's descendants and a colorful bar graph. But where it comes, you know, to the potential hubris that one might succumb to when, you know, when you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become, you know, the most all-powerful and almighty, in Canada, you're twice as likely to move from the poorest quintile of the population to the wealthiest. And incidentally, you know, you really can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's like trying to lift up your shoes while you're still wearing them. It's just not possible. Anyway, Canada, consider yourself warned pride goes before ruin, arrogance before failure, eh? But I can easily see folks, you know, look at the king of Tyre and Pharaoh and say, well, you know, I'm not a king or a god king. I'm just a person with a full-time job and a mortgage. You know, don't think just because hubris is too expensive that it can't happen to you. It has a more accessible, more down-brand version for the rest of us. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is best summed up, by a line from Shakespeare's As You Like It. Quote, The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. A corollary to this, or as Canadians say, corollary, is the superiority illusion, which is best explained by the opening of shamed radio personality Garrison Keeler's Prairie Home Companion, who said, quote, Welcome to Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Rehezkel. the Dunning-Kruger effect would probably come as no surprise. If kings succumb to arrogance and prideful nonsense, why wouldn't the simple man or woman? The difference is obvious. The simple man or woman might be led to make certain stupid decisions based on their overinflated sense of self that might impact, you know, what, one, two, maybe five people? But when the king forgets his place and thinks he is a god, He can get himself and his whole nation involved in a whole mess of nonsense that might result in a lot of people dying. At that point, there's really nothing to be done. Quote, All who knew you among the peoples are appalled at your doom. You have become a horror and have ceased to be forever. Which perhaps is the only good that can come from the fall of the mighty, assuming that the mighty doesn't fall like right on you. That is, it's a cautionary tale. The fall, you know, you learn from that person's fall. You know, so the rest of us hopefully internalize that when we think we might be better than we actually are that and the realization that most of us cannot possibly be above average if you like what you heard today spread the word about Tanakhcast. send a friend an email to say hey would it kill you to check out Tanakhcast? or even better write a brief review at apple podcasts google play stitcher smart radio or soundcloud It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for Tanakhcast and pledge your Shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 128, when we continue in the Book of Ezekiel, chapters 32 through 35.